0: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, a new city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them always. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I make all things new. And he said to me, John, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and it's true. Father, this morning we gather together as your people to remember what is trustworthy and what is true Your word is truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. In a world that wants us to believe that there is no truth, you say, John, write down these words because they're trustworthy and they're true. Our world is not operating as you intended it to, God. We know that. And we're reminded every single day, we're reminded this week in a visceral way that things are not operating the way that you created them to, and we grieve for that. We live in evil days. Paul told us this, that the time is evil, the days are evil, the time between your first coming, Jesus, and your second coming that we just read about in Revelation 21. We live in this in-between time of sorrow, death, pain, destruction, when the prince of this world, the enemy himself, reigns. The battle rages, but the war is won. We know there is a day that is coming when all things are going to be made new. And we pray for that day. Even now we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray as a a community of your followers, Jesus, this morning, as a church. That's what a church is, people who are following you, Jesus. And we pray this morning for our brothers and sisters who grieve. We pray for this world, for creation itself that groans, that's surrounded with evil and death. The world is getting darker and darker. The days are evil, but your light, the light of Jesus, still shines. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. And as the darkness envelops us in so many different ways, may our light, the light of Christ, shine from within us to others who desperately need to know that in a hopeless world, that's so full of death and destruction, that's not operating the way that God intended, that there's hope, that there's a new city that's being made, a place that you're preparing for those who love you, and that if you go to prepare a place for us, you'll come back and get us, that where you are, we may also be. We look forward to that day, and in the in-between, may we be faithful May we remember what is trustworthy and true, that you are returning, that you are still on your throne, that you see all things, that you know, you're the God who sees, you're the God who knows. And I pray for each of my friends in the room this morning that whatever burdens or concerns, disappointments, pain, frustration, confusion, shame, guilt, whatever they might have carried in the room this morning, that they would put it at your feet, Jesus. You make all things new. Not improved, not better, new. May we exchange this morning our old for your new. There's only one thing in this world that never gets old, and that's the new life of Jesus. So God, help us to remember these things this morning. As Reza reminded us, worship is a choice this is the day that you have made so we rejoice rejoicing as a choice and we choose even in the midst of darkness destruction pain and grief to worship you for who you are for your character we don't worship you because our life is going well because today is a good day every day is a good day because you are good God so we worship you for who you are and we remind ourselves even in the midst, no, especially in the midst of our confusion, our grief, our despair, we worship you for who you are, and we ask Jesus that you would be close to us and close to the brokenhearted today as you've told us you would be. You'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. You're with us to the end of this age, and for that we rejoice and we worship you. As we come to your word this morning, Would you open our hearts and our minds to hear from you? We don't need to hear a speech. We don't need to hear six steps to a better you. We need to hear from the living God. We need to hear from your spirit through your word to our hearts, giving us the words of life that are trustworthy and true. Remind us today that because you live, we can face today and we can face tomorrow because you're with us. Be with us now and speak to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen, amen. You can be seated. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I wanna encourage you to open them with me this morning to Ephesians, and we're gonna be in chapter six. My name is Chris, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and I'm grateful to be with you uh, this morning. Um, We've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and just a real quick uh, piece of context, if this is your first weekend with us, I hope it won't be your last weekend. Hope you'll continue to come back, and we want New City to be your home, and for you to know that you have a place here, and this is a place where you can be known, and you can grow in your relationship with God. So grateful to have you here with us. And as I mentioned, we've spent the last uh, several months walking through this this little letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a really important city in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was one of the top five uh, cities in all the Roman Empire. It was a place of great wealth and commerce, uh, a place where people came uh, together. There was a a temple there where people would come and worship the goddess Artemis. Uh, People would come from all over to Ephesus uh, to connect with each other, Not, not unlike the city that we find ourselves in today. And this was also a city uh, that was very spiritual. Uh, And so Paul plants a church there with a special group of people. And the church grows up. It becomes a really influential church. In fact, Ephesus became uh, a place that all of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, all of Asia Minor, every man, woman, and child, the Bible says in Acts chapter 19, heard about Jesus because of the church at Ephesus. Think about that. Um, Timothy, if you've heard of Timothy, Paul's spiritual son became Uh, the pastor at Ephesus for many years, and then he passed it on to the Apostle John, whose words we just heard from the book of Revelation. Uh, As John recorded that from a vision that he got as an old man on the island of Patmos, he was the pastor at Ephesus and actually wrote to Ephesus in the book of Revelation. Mary, the mother of Jesus, attended the church at Ephesus. Think about that. That was her home church, so no pressure for the preachers preaching that morning. It was just the, the mother of Jesus in the audience uh, listening to uh, the sermons. She was a part of that church, a very important, influential church. And the book, if you'll remember, as we kind of hit the home stretch here, is divided into two different sections. Do you remember this? The first part of the book, uh, which is chapters one through three, is all about what we believe. And here's here's what we can stand on this morning as a group of uh, people who follow Jesus is that we believe in truth. We believe that Jesus is the truth. And we believe that his characteristics, his attributes are things that we can build our life on. And we actually believe that what we believe is the most important thing about us. Uh, that, that the truth of, of what we believe and who we believe God to be and what he's done for us is something that we can build a firm foundation of life on. So the first half of the book, Paul wants to encourage the church that he helped to plant, a really influential church, don't forget what you believe. And too many of us, we navigate and walk through this life not remembering, not living out what we believe. So Paul says it's really important to know what you believe and to settle that and to begin to build your life on belief and not circumstance. Is anybody that, that, that relate to anybody this morning? So many of us build our life, lives on circumstances, and Paul says, no, you can't build your life on circumstances because they change. You've gotta build your life on what you believe, on truth. And so the whole first half of the book, chapters one through three, go back and read it yourself. All the messages are online, you can catch up. It's all about what we believe as Christ followers, and that's really important. And then equally as important is how we live that out. And that's the section that we're in right now as we finish the book. The the second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, is all about taking your belief, what you believe, the the truth of who God is, and living that out and applying it into your life. So many people believe things, but they never put it into practice. And Paul says it's equally important to take what you believe about Jesus and then put it into practice in every relationship and er every aspect and area of your lives. And so as we come to chapter 6 today, uh, Paul is all about fleshing out how we take this belief in Jesus and, and live it out in our lives. And last week, we, we circled this key word in verse 10, if you're looking at it with me, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He uses the word finally. And we talked about you could hear that word in two different ways, right? You could hear like finally, or you could hear finally. And it's not the latter, it's the first one where Paul just wants to kind of wants everyone to just sort of sit up in your seats this morning and lean in for a few minutes, and he wants to key this by saying, Finally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the most important thing here as we finish the letter together. So he says, Finally, and he begins to talk about something that I think might surprise you. He begins to talk about war, but not a flesh and blood war, as he talks about in Ephesians 4 or 6, verse 12. That he says, our battle's not against flesh and blood. In other words, you think that your enemy are the people that speak against you or post about you on social media or your coworker who's against you or your boss that fired you or, or the neighbor that's being mean to you. You, you think that, that that's who your battle is When He says, no, the battle is not who you think, uh, against who you think it is. It's against spirit. It's against a spiritual force that is against you that wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything of God in your lives. And so Paul begins to unpack this spiritual battle, and we talked about that last week, and I want to continue it today. And here's where I want to start in verse 13. He, he, he describes this spiritual battle that is raging all around us, and the idea that the, the battle rages on all around us, but the war has been won. It's already been decided, but in this in-between time, we're, we're battling not against flesh and blood, but against spirit. And then he says these words, listen to this in verse 13. Therefore, and whenever you see a therefore in the scriptures, you should circle it, and you should ask yourself the question, what is it therefore? And he's, conne- he's con- uh, connecting here, it's a conjunction, he's connecting what he's said in verses 10 through 12 to verse 13 and following that we're going to cover today. So he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. You've heard me use that phrase a couple of times in the prayer uh, what he means by that, the time of evil, is the time between Jesus' first coming, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his second coming that you heard me read in Revelation 21, where Jesus will come to get those who love him and follow him to be in a new city, in a new place, with no more tears, no more death, no more destruction. Are you ready for that? A place that God is preparing for us, where he says, behold, I'm." I'm he, behold means watch this, look at this, he says, watch this, I'm making everything new. And the time of evil is this, e- is this time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, and we're, I think you would agree with me, we're right in the middle of it. We're right smack dab in the middle of it. And Paul warns that there's going to be a time of evil. Jesus said, guys, Jesus said, in this world, you will have all kinds of good things, ice cream, you know, rainbows, you know, he says, hey, listen, this is serious. In this world, this world, this time of evil, you'll have trouble. You've heard me say this before. You're either in a crisis, you're coming out of a crisis, or you're getting ready to go into a crisis. That's the reality of this broken world that is not operating the way that God intended it to. And that's what Paul is referring to here. He says, we're in this time of evil between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. So he says, you gotta put on this, did you hear it? This armor of God. You go, that's, that's interesting. What is that? We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then he says, then after the battle, once you've put on this, uh, this armament, you'll be able to resist the enemy Because this is an armament that God's designed for you, and you'll be able to stand in the time of evil so that after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. And then he uses the word again. Look at verse 14, Ephesians 6, stand your ground. That word stand, if you're taking notes, uh, occurs three different times here in verses 13 and 14 in Ephesians chapter 6. You think Paul's trying to tell us something? Uh, Your role as a Christian is not to win the war. Jesus has already done that. Your role as a Christ follower, for those of you who follow Jesus in here, is to stand firm, to not let the enemy take ground that God's already won for us. Uh, John Stott says it this way. He says, Paul's concern in writing this portion of Ephesians 6 is for Christian, I love this phrase, Christian stability. Man, do we need that. He says, wobbly Christians, great phrase, who have no for, firm foothold in Christ. Again, what we believe, how we live. If you don't know what you believe, you're not gonna know how to live. And he says, wobbly Christians who don't have a firm uh, foothold on what they believe and how they live are easy prey for the devil. Now, here's how I wrote it, okay? And if you're taking notes, maybe just write this down. Wobbly Christians in a shaky world, it's a bad combination. If you don't know what you believe, and you're not actively engaged in how you're going to live that out, you're a wobbly Christian. Uh, James says you're double-minded. The double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, and as the world continues to shift and to shake this time of evil around us, we find ourselves leaning back and forth and feeling probably seasick in this world that we live in. We're not standing firm. And so Paul makes this point, he says, there's just this reality that you're in a war, and he doesn't apologize for that. He doesn't say, hey, it's just, it's a crisis or it's hard. He says, no, it's, it's a battle, it's a war. And Jesus actually wants to prepare you for that. And if, you're, if you don't come to terms with the reality of a spiritual war, you're not going to understand all the things that are coming against you and the threat from an unseen enemy. Remember, you think that the people that are being unkind to you, you might have a little mental list you would never admit it of, people that you would consider to be your enemies or be against you. Those are not your enemies, guys. You have an enemy, they're not it. The enemy behind your enemies is one who means destruction for you, for your family, for everything good in your life. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 12. Paul says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. What does he mean? flesh and blood is an uh, an idiom for for mankind your 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 battle isn't not against other people he says But it's against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's four different rankings, if you will, of evil that Paul mentions here in Ephesians 6 verse 12. And what can we surmise from that? That there's an order, there's a strategy of the enemy, there's a ranking among evil spirits. It's an all-out war and he's coming against you. Paul says it this way to the letter uh, to the church at Corinth, his second letter. He says, we're not, uh, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For we use God's mighty weapons, this is interesting language, this warfare language, not worldly weapons, uh, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and we destroy all false arguments. In the same passage, Paul says we, I love this, that we take captive every thought that comes against God and we bring it into obedience in Christ. We're gonna talk about this at the first of next year, about our thought life and how we have the mind of Christ. And part of it is we grab every single thought that leaves the train station of our mind and before it gets on the tracks and starts going down and becomes a habit or an action or a word or whatever it might become, we we pull it back and we bring it uh, captive under the authority and the thought of Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, we have to know God's word, and we have to bring every one of our thoughts under its authority and under its truth and match it up with is this really truth or is this my feelings and my circumstances? And, the, and, and so Paul says, You're not on your own. Here's the good news in this battle, in this warfare that is raging. It's not left to you. Jesus hasn't left you alone. You're not standing out in the middle of a battlefield without any armament. Actually, God has provided this spiritual coat of armor for you. Did you know that? And there's specific weapons and armament that, that God has equipped you with. But if, but if you've never read this before and you don't know it, and you're not actively putting that on, you're standing in the middle of a battlefield without any armament on. It's very dangerous. And Paul wants his audience To know that. He uses the metaphor of a a Roman foot soldier, which the Ephesians would have been very familiar with. They walked the streets every single day. And they, of course, were uh, in full armament. They had to be. That's a part of being a soldier was to put on your armor. And they had to recognize that all of the armament that they see on the Roman soldier was available to them spiritually from God. So how do we dress, if you will, spiritually? How do you put on the armor of God? Well, I want to talk about that, but let's start with just reading the text. And I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to read verses 14 through 20 to you. If you're able to stand, if you would join us. If not, that's fine. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 14. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. And stay alert and be persistent in all of your prayers for believers everywhere. And pray for me also, Paul says. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news, that is the gospel, is for Jews and for Gentiles alike. In other words, your ethnicity has, your background, your financial status has nothing to do with it. The gospel is for everybody. And then final verse today, verse 20. I am in chains. Remember Paul's writing from Rome under house arrest. He's a prisoner, he says. I'm in chains now, still preaching the message of God uh, as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should, as I should. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. All right. All right. If you've got something to take notes with, I'm going to go fast and furious here, and we're going to walk through, you just heard it, these six pieces of armor that Paul mentions that are yours. And here's the incredible thing about this. You you don't have to go and craft them yourselves. You don't have to work to earn them. These are just available to you as a follower of Jesus. And Paul wants us to be aware of them and to put them on every single day. That, that word put on, Paul used over and over and over again in his letter to the uh, church at Colossa, uh, to his letter to the church at Corinth, uh, he, he, to the letters church in Rome, he uses that word put on. You've got to put on like the, the, the new armament and the new clothes that God provides for you to live as a new creation in Christ. And so let's start with the belt of truth. Again, if you're taking notes, maybe just write a few of these down. We're going to just list them in sequential order here. The belt of truth. Well, What is that? Well, again, back to the uh, metaphor of a, a Roman foot soldier. They would uh, put on a belt that kind of held every uh, piece of armament together. Their, their shield, even their shoes would attach to their belt. Their sword would go in their belt. So this is the, the first piece of armament to, that holds everything else together. And it's no mistake that it's attached to truth. Because here's the deal, guys, Uh, it's a war between ultimately truth and lies. Uh, The enemy is the father of what? He's the father of lies. And so I want you to hear this. Uh, In this spiritual war that Paul's describing here in Ephesians 6, uh, the truth is always the first casualty in your life. So as the enemy comes against you whether, whether you, whether you think you're in a spiritual war or not, Paul says you are. <laughs> so whether you realize it or not, you are. And the first reality as you put on the belt of truth uh, is knowing that the first casualty in this war is always going to be truth in your heart and your mind. That's what the enemy wants you to question first and foremost. Is there a truth? You know, Pilate says to Jesus when Jesus is on trial, what is truth? Which is the question of our age, isn't it? What is truth? What, what, can I, what can I know in this world? What can, I, what can I build my life on? Jesus says, I am the truth. Your word is truth. The first casualty of the spiritual war and battle against you is truth. Truth in your mind, truth in your heart. And so Paul says you got to put on the belt of truth and remember truth. John Mark, Mark Comer says this about our enemy. He's far more intelligent than we give him credit for. you can bet that if we know what makes a good lie, what makes a good lie? It's an oxymoron. But what makes a good lie? It's believable. A good lie is close to the truth. If I had a bunch of Monopoly money this morning and put it on the stage and just said, hey, this is all for you guys, just come get it, you would go, "Uh, that's Monopoly money. Why would I come and get that? If I put what looked like uh, real money on the stage, I mean, if it was 99.9% right and put on the stage, there would be a rush, you know, I think, uh, to come and get it afterwards, right? We, we, what, what makes a good lie is that it's almost true. And so John Mark says, this is exactly what the enemy does. He's well aware that the most effective lies are the ones that are mostly true. And the next most effective lies are those that are true, but not the whole truth. Wow. So our enemy is clever. He's strategic. We know he has order in even, his, even the, his evil forces. He's ranked them. There's a strategy. And the first casualty of this spiritual war that we're involved in is truth. So we put on the belt of truth. We remember truth. Well, let's talk about that whole idea of putting on and taking off. You know, Jesus teaches us to pray, and he says, uh, you know, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But here's the deal, guys. Everyone watch this. In order to pray that simple prayer, the Lord's prayer, which really is the disciples' prayer, our prayer, in order to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we have to pray my kingdom go. In order to pray thy kingdom come, I have to pray thy kingdom go. Go. And the same thing's true of this spiritual armament. In order to put on the belt of truth and all the other pieces of armament that are about to follow, we've got to take off the armor that we've amassed and collected as we've walked through this difficult world. Because here's the deal, guys. Every single person in this room and every single person that you'll come into contact with today and throughout the days of your life is wearing armament. It's either the spiritual armament that God's given to us as Christ followers to wear and to engage in this spiritual battle, or it's armament that we've crafted ourselves. You say, Chris, what do you mean? Well, I learned early on that people are, can be difficult, people can be mean, and so I begin to put armor over my heart so they, they won't hurt me. Uh, maybe early on in your life or maybe in your, your family growing up, there, there weren't words of affirmation about, about who you are and how God's made you and that you're beautiful in his sight and, and knowing the identity that you have in Jesus. And so you begin to put on a, a proverbial mask so nobody can really see who you are. Maybe you're the funny guy or you're the whatever, and it's all a, it's all a cover so nobody sees what's underneath. Anybody relating to this? You begin to put on something that other people see to protect your heart and your mind from being wounded, from being hurt. And and you know the deal is we learn that really early on in life. And as we get older, we just we, it just gets more sophisticated. It's the same mask. It's the same stuff that we've we've learned to to put on every single day from to protect us from this 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 uh, dark world that is evil that does have trouble, that is full of crisis, but instead of putting on the spiritual armament that Jesus gives to us, we put on our own armament. And here's the deal, I want, the, the point I wanna make here, is that until we put that down and lay that down, and we're able to say, I'm not gonna cover anymore, I, I'm, I'm not gonna uh, carry this piece of, of armament that I've, that I've learned to carry in my life to shield me from anybody ever getting close to me or ever really knowing me, I've gotta put all that stuff and I've gotta be vulnerable in order to be able to put on the armament of God. Here's, here's a piece of art, if you're a visual person. Uh, Bryn Gillette, he's a local artist, uh, incredible follower of Jesus. And he illustrates this passage, Ephesians 6, uh, 14 through 20, our passage today, with these two pieces. And the first piece is uh, a, a taking off. And I, I wonder, I'm just gonna give you a moment just to look at it. Uh, Just notice some of the things that are on the ground as it's being, the the old armaments being stripped away. There's an arrow, I don't know if you can see an arrow in the side, and we'll get to that in a minute, the fiery arrows of the enemy that are fired at us every single day. Uh, There's a sash that almost looks like a snake, metaphor for for our great enemy. There's a, down in the left-hand corner, there's a crowbar, (laughs) I love that. That of, 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 of peeling off this old armament, that these old things that we've learned from an early age to put on so we're never hurt, nobody ever sees us. We've gotta take all that stuff off. And then on the right, there's the putting on, as we're talking about today. There's, there's taking on this new spiritual armament that, that God has given to us so we can engage this battle and, and walk through this life and, and stand our ground on, on, on a firm footing. And I love this, you know, our sister in Christ here, right? Uh, she's, she's putting on all the armament. Now, the snake has become the belt of truth. It's been tamed. I love that. There's a community of people around her, the body of Christ, that are standing behind her. You know, our spiritual battle isn't fought in isolation. We're meant to be in community with each other it's Other uh, followers of Jesus are helping us to put on this spiritual armament and to stand our ground, to stand with us in this truth. I love this. I wonder, uh, as you look at this, where you find yourself. Maybe you're in a season of your life and your journey with Jesus that it's just a stripping away season. And uh, as somebody who's walked through many of those seasons, I don't think that's just a one-time thing but constantly being stripped away of all the things that I'm building up to protect my heart, to protect myself, um, to make sure nobody ever hurts me or ever sees me or knows me uh, in the way that Jesus wants to. It's gotta be constantly stripped away and taken off. Maybe you're in that season of your life and you just, you relate to that. You need to just look at that for a moment. And maybe you're in a season where you're asking God to put on new things um, instead of the old ways that you've coped in this hard world and you found ways to protect yourself from hurtful people or hurtful things to numb yourself in this hard world, you would say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to put on the spiritual armament that Jesus has for me. And we, we see that on the right here. Maybe you, maybe you relate to that. Here's the second piece that's mentioned in verse 14, is this body armor of God's righteousness and this, this is exactly what it sounds like. It's this piece of armor made of metal plates that Roman soldier would, would wear this, chains that cover the body from uh, their, their neck all the way down to their waist, front and back. And it symbolizes for us, the word righteousness is attached to this. It symbolizes our righteousness in Jesus. So to me, uh, the gospel in one verse, if you're taking notes, is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And it's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Um, A lot of commentators say that this is actually all of the gospel in one verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin, just like us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the gospel is, that Jesus took on my unrighteousness, my old stuff, And because of his sacrifice, I'm able to put on and take on his righteousness that only he can give. That's the gospel. And it's not by works, it's by my simple trust and belief in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And so this armament is connected to the righteousness of God, that we've placed our faith in Jesus, those of us who are Jesus followers, we've put our trust in him, we're following him, and now his righteousness is ours. It marks us, it secures us, it protects us. But again, we have to pray, my kingdom go, your kingdom come, and my life. And when Satan accuses each of you, and he will, it's the righteousness of Christ, this armament that assures us of our salvation, that our position in Jesus is secure, not because of our work, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Here's the third one, if you're taking notes. Uh, Verse 15 feet that are fitted with the readiness of the gospel, shoes. In other words, uh, what we're wearing on our feet. And he says, it's shoes that put on peace uh, that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. How many times have I said to my kids walking out the door, "Uh, put on your shoes, are you ready? We got to school one time, I'm not gonna say who it was. We got to school one time for drop-off and somebody didn't have shoes on to go to school. Had to go back home and get shoes. Paul says, you gotta have shoes. Uh, A Roman soldier would wear like a half boot. And so it was able to protect their feet, but also they could be swift, they could run in it. And so Paul says, you gotta put on uh, these shoes, and they're shoes of peace that are bringing the good news of the gospel every single place that they go. And here's what strikes me, right? That our feet oftentimes in this, this shaky world, they either get stuck or they slip. And again, coming back to that key word, if you just put it on your uh, notes where you're taking notes, Three times Paul uses the word stand. And so part of being able to stand firm is having on shoes of peace and readiness. That I'm not stuck in my old habits and my old ways. I'm not stuck with a record repeating in my life of the same old things, but I'm also not slipping as I take new ground and I move forward. I'm not slipping. I'm able to walk and to move in peace. Paul is um, borrowing from the prophet Isaiah, if you want to just write a cross-reference and go read it uh, for yourself. Uh, Isaiah says in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings the good news. He's talking about Jesus, the good news of peace and salvation, the good news that God, the God of Israel reigns. And in the original context of Isaiah 52, the picture is painted of a uh, a long-awaited-for messenger whose feet are beautiful, and they're drumming across the mountaintops with all the swiftness of a of a gazelle bringing good news to Jerusalem. And as he comes within an earshot of the city, uh, of the people, he shouts, peace, uh, good news of great joy, salvation, your God reigns. That's the picture here. Fourth is the shield of faith, verse 16. The, the faith itself, the this defensive mechanism is our shield. Our faith and trust in Jesus becomes a shield against all the fiery darts of the evil one. And we, In that first picture, remember, of taking off, there was an arrow in the side of the person. And that comes from this, this idea that the, the enemy fires arrows at us. Look at, look at verse um, 16. And in Paul's days, just to put some context, arrows were, were dipped in a flammable material So the tip of the arrow was dipped in a flammable material, and then it was fired against the enemy. So not only when it hit things would it hurt because it would pierce, but it would be on fire. And Paul says these fiery darts, these fiery arrows are are, are constantly being shot at God's people, into their minds, into their hearts. These are lies. These are uh, past hurts, doubts, uh, burning desires for sin. And if we're not protected against us, against them, they they come and they pierce our flesh and they they burn within us. So I wonder for you, like what is a fiery arrow that's constantly being fired at you that you feel today? Something that the enemy continues to come against you with. Maybe it's a, a temptation, a certain temptation that you just don't feel like you can get victory over, or a thought in your mind that you're having a hard time. Uh, taking captive. And, And maybe it isn't just flesh and blood and your will and discipline. Maybe it's actually an animated spirit, an actual force that is against you that's causing you to do that. And maybe, just maybe, God's given you an armament to resist that and to stand your ground. Paul says, pick up your shield of faith and remember that God is with you, that he hasn't abandoned you, and that he can be trusted. He can be trusted in the barrage of of fiery arrows that are sent against you every single day that God can be trusted to be with you and protect you. Here's the fifth one, the helmet of salvation, verse 17. So the helmet is used by the Roman soldier. It was usually made of bronze. It would come down over their, their cheekbones to give protection to the entire head. And it would be, of course, put on before battle, but it would be worn every single day, even when they weren't in active battle, which is interesting. And of course, for us, it's, it's the idea that it's protecting our minds, our thought life. And typically, the spiritual battle that rages all around us, uh, the, the major battleground is in our minds, our thoughts. You know, we, we think, again, we're gonna do a whole series in January of next year about our thought lives. And all the passages in the New Testament about uh, our thoughts and taking thoughts captive and having the mind of, of Jesus. And the enemy knows that. If he can get you to begin to think bad thoughts, then you'll begin to speak uh, dishonest and bad words. And you'll begin to create habits and, and actions and a lifestyle that doesn't match the truth of God. So the helmet of truth is, is guarding your thought life, your identity, your perspective. And here's the final piece of armor met. The sixth one is the sword of the spirit, verse 17. This was, a, a again, using the Roman foot soldier, this was a short-handled sword, which was an important offensive weapon in close contact. We talked about uh, last week that that word for battle is the, is the same word that's used in the scriptures, the only time it's used in chapter six of Ephesians for wrestling. So it's not combat by proxy, it's, it's close hand-to-hand combat. So the sword of the spirit is this short sword that was used as a, as a weapon. It's the only offensive piece that's listed in the six. And of course the sword is the word of God, that God's given you an offensive weapon, a piece of armor meant to battle back with. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says this about the sword of truth. He says, the word of God is active and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between, I love this, uh, Hebrews 4.12. It cuts between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It it expresses our innermost thoughts and desires. In other words, God's word cuts through all of our nonsense. It cuts through all of our um, uh, fleshly Armament, the, all the things that we put up to block other people from knowing us, from seeing the real us, a lot of us live with a lie that if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. And the word of God, the truth, cuts through all of that. And before, I think, before God's word becomes a piece of armament to be offensive with the enemy with it, it becomes a piece that that helps to rightly take off all the other junk from our lives. It pierces through all of our nonsense and all the things that we've put to guard our heart, to protect us from a hurtful world. But it falls short in the way that God wants to protect us. And the word helps us to, to see that and to undo us and then remake us in the image of Christ. I wanna, I wanna read just one more passage and we'll finish here. Uh, in 2 Kings 6, this can be homework for you. You can go and read this on, on your own this week. In 2 Kings 6, there's a, there's a, a scene. Where Elisha, the, the the prophet, is standing with one of his servants, and they're in this battle. And Elisha is trying to explain to his servant that there's more going on here than meets the eye. And I want to just pick up here in verse 15. This is 2 Kings chapter 6. Just listen to it. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, where the troops and horses and chariots were everywhere on the battlefield, um, he says to Elijah, What are we gonna do now? <laughs> we're surrounded. And Elijah says, Don't be afraid. And his servants thinking, Well, we've got all these flesh and blood uh, horses and chariots and people surrounding us. And Elijah says, Don't be afraid. And then he says this, For there are more on our side than there are on their side. And then Elijah prays, Oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw a hillside around Elisha filled with horses and chariots of fire. What happened in that moment? In that moment, in 2 Kings chapter six, the space between the spiritual realm and the physical realm got very thin. And some of you have been in those moments where you can sense the battle all around you. And in that moment, God allows Elisha's servant to see the battle that's really taking place in the spiritual realms. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to his audience. And he finishes by saying appropriately, our strategy for victory is not all these pieces of armament, those are important, but the strategy for ultimate victory is prayer. And we'll pick up on that next week. Paul says in verses 18 through 20, let me just finish here, he says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. And then he says, stay alert and be persistent. And your prayers for all the believers everywhere. And pray for me too. We'll talk about this again next week as we finish. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So I pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And that's the prayer for each of us. Several years ago, I was late coming home, um, had, had things going on at the church. And uh, I'm a huge Panthers fan, by the way. I'm still in it. We're going to do it one day. Um, <laughs> it's been 27 years. It, my son is like, Dad, how can you pull for them after all this? You just got to stay with it. One day it's going to happen. But I, I came home, I, I was late for the game, and I turned my phone off. If you guys have ever done this, I didn't want to get any messages. I wanted to be able to just watch it. I popped a bowl of popcorn sat in my favorite chair, turned on the game to watch it. We were playing the Bills. And no kidding, I turned on the game, and the first scene was the final score. And I had, like, gotten everything situated. Like, it's going to take me, like, an hour and a half to fast forward, watch the whole game. This is, like, I'm just going to r- relax. And there's the final score. But then I'm there, right? I mean, I've got the popcorn. i got to just watch it. So I go back to the beginning, and I'm watching it. And I find myself, like, halfway through, sweating yelling at the television. We won the, I knew we had won the game, but I'm yelling and I'm thinking, we're never gonna win. Ha, ha, this, the score somehow was wrong. They, were, it, they must have flashed it up wrong. All these things were happening. I'm watching the whole game thinking, we're never going to win. And I, I, I wanna end with that today because in this world and especially on this week, we could look around and think, we're never gonna win. We're never gonna win. It's, it's, it's all against us. And I wanna remind you of this truth as we head into another week and as we come to the conclusion of this letter, that the the battle rages on, right, all around us. But I wanna remind you of this today and I want you to take comfort in this because this is truth: that the war is won. The battle rages on and there's a lot of days and moments that it doesn't feel like we're going to win. But the truth is, it's trustworthy and it's true that the war is won. And I pray that that fills your heart with hope today. I pray that God spoke to you today, that that whether it's a stripping away of this armament that you've put on yourself, or whether it's a commitment to reading this and beginning every day to put on the spiritual armament that is yours, that Jesus has provided for you. I pray that God would take his word and apply it to your heart today. May he give us the wisdom to know what he's speaking to us and the courage to take it and to obey. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We stand on the firm foundation of your truth and your word today. I pray for each of my friends today that you would encourage them, that you would help them to understand the reality of the spiritual battle that rages all around them, and that they would prepare themselves with the armament, the spiritual armament that you've provided. The battle rages on. It's evil, it's dark, it's difficult, it's disappointing. It's frustrating, but the war is won. And in that today, our hearts are filled with peace and hope. We give you the glory for this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.